0: Amen. Thank you, ladies. Appreciate that. If that didn't move you, you're dead. Um, Let's turn to Romans 1. And I stand amazed by the fact that I can stand here in a church this morning thinking about what my life used to be like over 20 years ago. And that song is so true that if we just think about what God's done, we stand amazed by his love, by his patience, his long-suffering, the fact that we get to be in his presence. And I just was watching my sister and my wife singing that song and just thinking about what my life used to be like over 20 years ago and just how God's been so gracious and so kind to us as people. Uh, so we should, never, we should never let that go. We should never lose sight of that. And uh, we shouldn't take for granted that, we have a church here this morning that we have a gospel that we can look at. We have Christians that we can learn from and serve the Lord with. And we have a pastor, though he's not here this morning, that he's leading us, guiding us in these things. I'm just saying we should be thankful for what we have. And Paul said it, that he looked at those words with the choir song and it just meant something a little bit more to him this morning. And I think that's just important that we... You know, the world would probably say, stop and smell the roses. But really consider what the Lord has done. I think that's a good thing for us to do. All right, we're in Romans 1 this morning. Thanks, Dan, for reading that, those few verses. Um, I always feel weird when it's like three verses, everyone stands up and then it's it's done in like three seconds. Um, But appreciate you reading that, uh, these verses in Romans 1. And I make this statement that if reincarnation was real, which it's not, just to be sure. Reincarnation is not real. Once, once we die, we go before the Lord. But if reincarnation was real, I'd probably want to be a fly. <laughs> not because I can fly. I mean, if I had a superpower, I would choose flight. Like, that is just, if you don't choose flight, there's something wrong with you. Um, but I would probably want to come back as a fly. And the reason for that is because I like to observe people. Not in a weird way, but... I, just putting that out there, I'm not weird, okay. I mean, I'm weird, but not that weird. No, but really, I love to observe people. I've just, I, I just found my whole life that if I'm sitting, if it's a restaurant, a cafe, or like, you know, sometimes just when you're, you can see the street or you can just see people gathering around and doing their thing, going about their lives, I just like to observe people and just see how they respond, see how they react to things. Uh, why they do what they do, why they say what they say, how they're going to react in this situation. Um, And I know that some of you are like that, like you just like to observe people just because your mind just works that way. Um, And I wonder if that's you at some point, if you ever just wonder why does that person do that? Or why does that person say those things? Or why does that person react that way? And I think there's something to be said about observing people and reading people. And just sitting back and going, okay, I can see them doing that or saying this, but actually asking that question, why is that? And I think in our fast-paced society, sometimes we just have that fleeting thought but never actually go back to it. And I think there is something to say for reading and understanding people. And God really, he's a master of this because he knows our hearts. He knows our thoughts. He knows the intention of our hearts. And these verses in Romans that Dan read really show us a lot about the heart of people. Different kinds of people, it shows us the heart of God. And and God obviously can read people like a book. Like, honestly, he he just knows everything about us. Um, But I guess I'm appealing to us as people today that we are not God. We need to look at why people do things and ask the question why and understand people's responses to different things. And Paul here, he starts in verse 16 with this very bold statement. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he's revealing something here that he's not ashamed of this thing called the gospel of Christ. He is embracing, he has accepted it, he is resting in this thing, the gospel of Christ. Now, I would say to you, I've been a Christian for many years now, and sometimes I am ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Sometimes I'm not as bold as Paul probably was with just yelling it out there and just making it on display that, you know what, I am following Jesus Christ. But in this passage here, he's showing that this is coming from a decision in his heart that he's made, and that's outworked in a a statement that he's made, but it lines up with the life that he lives. And so he's, not, he's, he's embraced this thing called the gospel of Christ. And you might say, uh, that's great, Andrew, but what is the gospel of Christ? And half of you are probably saying, well, I already know what the gospel of Christ is. And some probably don't. So I actually looked at this, these, these verses. I'm going to give you a, a warning here this morning that this is probably the most um, digging into verses that are probably done. So this might just be, sound like more of a Bible study this morning than probably a traditional preaching message or something like that. So I'm going to give you what I've found as far as what some of these words in these verses mean. And the reason I want to do that this morning is because the Bible doesn't just use verses randomly. God didn't just choose random words. Uh, he, He chose specific words for specific reasons. And just like being that fly on the wall, we should observe that and then ask the question, Okay and find out why did God use that word and what does that mean for me? Okay, so I'm just giving you a warning. It's probably going to be text-heavy a little bit this morning. Uh, so this word, the, these words, the gospel of Christ, it means this, the narrative of the sayings, deeds, and death of Christ. So you could probably summarise that in everything about Jesus Christ, everything about who Jesus is, what he stood for, and what he did That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, including his death, including his his sacrifice on the cross. So Paul here is saying, you know what, I'm not ashamed of that. I I will gladly tell people about that. And I want you to look at this word here. It says, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God. It doesn't just contain the power of God. It's not that it was the power of God or one day it will be the power of God. It is the power of God unto salvation. So you do not get salvation outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot get it any other way. And so Paul is showing his heart here. He's saying, you know what? I am gladly resting in the fact that Jesus died for my sins and I'm happy to say it. And he's proclaiming this. But look at verse 17. He says, For therein, and that word therein is meaning within the confines of the gospel. So if you look at the gospel of Christ, everything about Jesus and his his sacrifice on the cross, inside that, that space is the righteousness of God revealed. So within the gospel of Christ that what you understand about God's righteousness is opened up. It's displayed. It helps you to see what the righteousness of God is. It's so clear that you can't understand more about righteous, the righteousness of God without the gospel of Christ. And so God is saying here that within the confines of the gospel, you understand more. God reveals, he opens up his righteousness which is his integrity, his virtue, correctness of thinking, feeling and acting. He uncovers that. But look here, it says, from faith. Now, I know this is like I'm building upon each kind of thing here, but I just need you to kind of take this journey with me, that you have the confines of the gospel, within that God reveals his righteousness, but it stems from a faith. It stems from a faith and this faith is this, the conviction that God exists and is the creator and ruler of all things, the provider and bestower of eternal salvation through Christ Jesus. That's a lot but it's to say this, that if you have faith in Jesus Christ as the one who is the salvation from sins, that he is God, he's a son of God, that God is the creator and the bestower of all good things, that if you have faith in that, out of that, God can now open up the understanding of his righteousness. And that's all contained within this thing called the gospel of Christ. So notice here it says that it's revealed from faith to faith, that you don't just get salvation and understanding of God and then you're stale, you're stagnant that it continues to grow. It's a faith that continues to grow and learn and understand. Because the more that you keep going, oh, yes, I have faith that Christ is the answer to my problems, then God continues to reveal more of his righteousness. Those two things are linked. But that, that Christ has done these things for you, the more you see God's righteousness, the more you see his virtue, the more you see how you're supposed to think and act and feel. Does that make sense? So it's a growing faith. And Paul here is basically blatantly saying, I'm not ashamed of that. I know what I used to be, but I'm standing in this now. And he's trying to encourage other people. And so this in verse 17, this revealing, God revealing his righteousness It's a response, get this, it's God's response to Paul's response. It's God's response to Paul's response. Well, Paul's response to what? To the knowledge of God, to the understanding of Jesus Christ, to his acceptance of the gospel. So what does that mean? Well, it means that God's outworking changes according to how we respond to what he's given us. So God opens up the door a little bit more depending on how we respond to what we already know. And so Paul is saying here that he's giving more of his righteousness, understanding of his righteousness and all of that and leading me and guiding me the more that I rest in the fact that he has paid for my sins and he has delivered me from sin and death. So we're talking here about the heart. We're talking here about Paul's heart, but my message this morning is actually about the heart of the lost, because we see here in these couple of verses that this is the heart of Paul, a Christian, someone who follows Christ, acknowledges Christ, lives for Christ. But it goes from that to, okay, well then what about how does the heart of the non-Christian respond to Christ? How does the heart of the non-Christian respond to what God's given? And... Although verse 16 states that salvation is to everyone that believes, not everyone believes. And we know that. There's people in this room this morning that haven't made up their mind about whether Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life. And there's many that have. And you go anywhere in this life, there's people that believe and there's people that do not believe. But God's response then is different according to the heart of the responder. Whatever God's given you have a response to that. And God then has a response to that. I hope you're still with me. So look at this. From verse 18 down, it, it's, it's a whole spiel about the heart of the lost. About, it's like God is the fly on the wall and he's seeing how the lost respond to him, have responded to him and continue to respond to him unless something changes. So it says here in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, when we go through these verses now, I want you to be thinking, I want you to be wanting to understand the heart of an unsaved person. And you should already be like halfway there if you're a Christian because you were once unsaved. This was you once. There's verses in the Bible that says, as and such were some of you, right? Like we used to be in this space. Sometimes as a Christian, you can get so far into the Christian life that you almost forget what you used to be like. Which is why I said at the start, it's important for us to like stand amazed in the presence of Jesus Christ. Stand amazed that he's done something in our lives. So I want you to think as we look at these next handful of verses, that this is what the heart of the unsaved can be like. Not everyone's is fully, in, in, fully this way. So looking at verse 18 again. So the wrath of God is revealed. Ah, oh, so now something different is revealed. Before it was the righteousness of God revealed. Now this is the wrath of God is revealed. So to the Christian who believes and, and rests in Christ... God reveals his righteousness to the one who's not believing and not resting in Christ but rather rejecting the wrath of God is revealed. And I want you to see this. It says that it's revealed from heaven against, which means upon, all, look at these next few words, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. I want to to give you the definitions of these words because I don't want you to be thinking... God is just waiting to pour out judgment on the unsaved because they just don't believe him. He's not that kind of God. So these two words, ungodliness and unrighteousness, ungodliness means this, a want of or a lack of reverence toward God. So we're talking about somebody who's not just, it's not just someone who's not super spiritual, it's someone that is actually not choosing not to reverence God. Choosing not to respect him. Choosing not to put him in the place that he ought to be put. So that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, an attitude. That's a heart attitude. So the wrath of God is revealed against that attitude. And then unrighteousness of men. Unrighteousness is this, a, de- a deed deed violating law and justice so a purposeful action so i am now deciding to violate what i know to be correct so this is this is the unsaved that god is identifying in the heart here he's saying i know that they know what is right and they're choosing not to do it i know that they know they should reverence me but they're choosing not to do it so this isn't someone who has no idea this is someone who understands what is correct what is right, and choosing to neglect it or reject it. So we have an attitude and an action that is causing this wrath to be revealed, to be opened up. There's God's anger to be exhibited and it outworks in a punishment. Now, that's, that's hard, but that's, that's, that's God. God is love, but guess what? He is also just. So God's identifying here that there is a heart of the unsaved, to some extent, that they know what they're doing, and they're doing it purposefully, or He knows what they're not doing, and they're not doing it purposefully. But this is this is this is the the crux of this verse, particularly, is what grabbed my attention. It says that the wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men and it gives a stipulation of this is how you know that they know what they're doing is wrong. It says who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now I'm going to tell you that this word truth here it's talking about two kinds of truths. It's talking about the truth that the understanding of what is right like that you haven't been taught. Now we call this a first truth, a first truth, that the knowledge that God exists. Now, everyone has a knowledge that God exists. They don't know necessarily everything about him. But we are born with this understanding that there is a higher being than us. And that is a first truth. You didn't get taught that. You just know that. Why? Because God's put that inside of you. Because he wants people to seek him. He wants people to have a relationship with him. He's he's willing to make himself revealed to people. So they're holding this truth in unrighteousness, the truth that God exists. Now, maybe they don't know his name. Maybe they don't know everything about him, but they know that he exists. The other truth is what's taught in Christian religion. So you might say, well, that's like the specifics, like what the Bible reveals. So God's identifying here in the heart of the lost that You know what? There's wrath that's poured out upon them because they have a heart attitude. They have actions that go against him, but it's because they're holding the truth in unrighteousness. Now, it doesn't mean that they're holding the truth like this, like you and I as Christians probably go, hey, I'm holding the truth and I want to give it and use it. It's talking about holding, like holding back, like detaining it like stopping its progress. That's literally what that word hold means, to stop its progress. So God has put in in, in the heart of each person an understanding, a knowledge of the truth of who he is and God's identifying here that the unrighteous, they're holding that back. No, I don't want it to progress in my heart. I don't want it to come out and change me. I want to resist it. I want to detain it. So God's identifying a heart response here. Well, it it is a response because God's put that initial understanding in our hearts. So we get to choose how we respond to that. Our teaching should align to that first truth of knowing God exists. And as Christians, and this is what Paul's saying that I have this understanding, but further than that, I've explored that actually Christ is the only way. And I want you to have a look down here in verse 19. It continues on in this vein, talking about the heart of the unsaved. Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest, which means to be recognised, plainly known. It's manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. God's put that knowledge, that understanding inside them. Even that word in, manifest in them, is talking about a fixed position. So you can grow up and you can be in a Christian home or not in a Christian home, but there's still that fixed position of that God exists. And can I remind you, church, it's, it's actually our job as Christians to bring out that knowledge that's in there that God put. It's our job to go and to actually tell people the actual name of God and who he is and all the other things that is not innately in there. It's our job to bring that out. Do you agree with that? Yes. Yeah. that this is my point of this message this morning. It's identify the lost, the heart of the lost. Why? For, for what purpose? Oh, so I can just say that's what they're like. No, it's for us as Christians to go, "Oh, that's why they do that." And it's my job to actually help them to stop holding back the truth that they know that is there. It's my job to try and help them see that that's actually what they need, not the thing that they need to be pushing back. That's our job as Christians. So it says in verse 19 that God hath showed it unto them. He's made it actual, he's made it visible, he's made it realized. Verse 20 gives you the specifics of it. For the invisible things of him, of God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. This phrase here, clearly seen. So it's saying you can see clearly the things that are invisible. (laughs) What? God says this, that you can clearly see the things that are invisible. The things of creation that you weren't there for. So the unsaved was not at creation. We were not at creation. But this verse is telling us that you can actually see it, you can understand it by the things that are made. What's that talking about? It's talking about everything we see. Creation around us. Our body, the design of it, the design of everything that we see. You You can understand what God has done in creation based on what you can see. Our conscience, all of these things are clearly seen. And that clearly seen means see from above, so view from on high. It's like not this like um, amateur understanding or amateur view of it. It's like a God view of it. That everyone that is created, everyone that is born, everyone that lives knows that this world did not come about by themselves or by an explosion. Now, they may not know Genesis 1 and like the order of how God created things, but they know, because God has shown it to them, it's manifest in them, that it didn't come from them. It came from a higher being. And it's our job to go, hey, you already know this. Let me show you how you can understand it better. Stop doing this and just let it back a little bit and you can see what God is really like. That's our job to do that. Have a look here, still in verse 20, the last half of the verse. It says that we can understand what's invisible being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So you can even understand his divinity, his divine nature. Well, only a divine being can create a world. Like I can create a flyer that might look good, but I can't create a world. That, that comes from the divine. Only the divine, not even just the best person in the world, divine. And so that the unsaved are kidding themselves when they say, no, 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 it came from an explosion. Because they actually know deep down inside God's revealed to them creation and that shows his divine nature. But at the last part of this verse, verse 20, it says, so that they are without excuse. That is hard. That is a hard part of the verse. Because you know what? Before I got saved, I was also without excuse. Every single person is without excuse. God has put in them what they need to know that God exists. So without excuse, indefensible, inexcusable, nothing to stand on. So you can argue back and forth and I've had many discussions with People, whether they're my age, older, or particularly, obviously, the young people, you can argue back and forth things, but at the end of the day, God says they're without excuse. Because there's that knowledge that's already in them. And I'll tell you this, I don't know how many conversations you've had with the unsaved about Christianity and Jesus Christ and things of this nature, but the lost rarely argue straight up that there is no God. They rarely straight up say, no, there is no God, and then just stick with that. These are the kind of questions, or these are the kind of answers or responses that I get. Well, if God is real, then who created him? It's not, oh, no, God is not real, end of discussion. It's if God, because it's like sitting down here, or it's sitting at the back of their head. It's like, if God created, who created him? I had that question last week. And hey, that's a fine question to ask, but it actually is a revealer of what's in the heart. If God created, who created him? If God exists, why doesn't he show himself to me? I literally had this question in my class like a couple of weeks ago. Well, if God is real, why doesn't he just walk in here and say, here I am? I said, he already did. No one believed him. They crucified him. I said, if he walked into the classroom, what would you say to him? I bet you'd say, prove that you are the Christ. Do a miracle. Make a million dollars appear in front of me. And they're like, yep. I said, so him doing all these miracles is exactly the same thing. It's showing the heart of man. Like miracles aren't going to make you saved. They are going to show you his divine nature. But this is the thing. We, we ask, or the unsaved ask, if he is real, then this and this. If he knows everything, why did he let Adam and Eve sin? And really, it's just it's trying to hold back the knowledge as long as they can. How do I know? Because I used to do it. <laughs> that, that was what I was like. I knew, I understood. And yes, I grew up in a Catholic home first, first and foremost, but then my parents got saved but still I was holding it back and I might have had more understanding than some other people but we're all doing the same thing. We don't, we don't want someone to be above us. And so this is just revealing the heart of the lost and this is not for us to judge them, it's for us to remember that's what we were like and help them. That's my heart this morning. I hope you're catching that, that it's not to judge the unsaved, it's to love the unsaved and to help them. Because we have this treasure in earthen vessels, but we need to help them find it as well. So how are they without excuse? Look at verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. So they did know. Now, if you think that the Bible was written by mankind, then you'd be like, oh, well, okay, well, this person's just writing that people knew. No, this is God wrote this. He identifies that they knew God, but they just didn't glorify him as God. They didn't hold him in honour. They didn't worship, attribute worth to him. And neither were thankful. Here's the thing. The unsaved, just like you and I, we're glad when things good happen to us, right? But thankfulness is like a gratitude that is expressed. So the unsaved, they are thankful that they have life that they have this and this and this, but they're not expressing their gratitude to the one that gave it. So God's making a point of saying it's, just, it's interesting that in this list of things God pulls out that they weren't thankful. Like it goes on later on with a whole list of things you know, backbiters, haters of God and all that sort of stuff. But here he's saying, you know what, one thing I'm pinpointing is that they weren't thankful. What does that mean? It means that they were happy they had what they had, but they didn't want to ascribe it to God giving it to them. So what does that mean for you and me as a Christian? We need to remind people that what they have is because God gave it to them. Yeah, this world is not like he created it in the first place. It's gone downhill. But the things that we do have, they still came from him. They still come from him. Now People people are glad that they have the breath in their lungs, but they don't want to say, it's God that gave it to me. And so God's pinpointing this. So they weren't thankful. Well, what's the next step after not being thankful? It says in verse 21, but became vain, empty in their imaginations, in their reasoning. So they actually became empty in their reasoning. So they're holding back the truth of God And so the downfall of that is now I don't attribute thankfulness and gratitude to God and then I start being empty in my thinking and my reasoning. And what's the next step after that? Their foolish heart was darkened. So they didn't start in this position, you understand that? They didn't start in this darkened heart, foolish heart position. They started with a little knowledge of God but pushed it back. And then a little bit more came along and they pushed it back. And things that they saw in their life that were good, but they didn't ascribe it to God. So it's this progression. And that word foolish, it's not talking about that they're just dumb. It's talking about lacking spiritual understanding. Now, God does call people fools, but it's, he's saying you lack spiritual understanding. It's not that, oh, you didn't get an A plus on that exam. It's without spiritual understanding, without the fact, knowledge or accepting that these things came from God. I'm going to move down real quick. Verse 22. Progression after that. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. So that's alleging themselves to be wise. Like I'm saying I'm wise. I'm saying that I know better. I'm saying that I don't need God. They became fools. They proved themselves foolish. And here's the thing. I'll give you an example. and I'm in no way saying that this student is, you know, is silly or anything like that. But even just this last week, I had a high school student who, he doesn't come from a Christian home, and we had a really good discussion in our class. And so we were talking about moral absolutes, and that came up because... I had someone else in the church ask about this very similar thing about moral absolutes and the unsaved, you know, they, they don't necessarily agree that there is a moral absolute, that there is a definite 100% this is right, that it's all just, you know, it's, it's whatever you want it to be, right? So this, this student, we're talking about moral absolutes and they say, well, what do you mean? I said, okay, I'll give you an example. Two plus two, what does it equal? He says Four. I said, oh, that's a bit narrow-minded, don't you think? Why can't it equal seven? Well, it equals two. It equals four. See, I can't even do maths. <laughs> He's like, no, it equals four. I'm like, well, I submit to you that maybe it equals seven or six or 12 or 115. No, 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 it equals four. Okay, well, so you actually agree that there is a moral standard. Like there is, like, not necessarily a moral standard, but there is an absolute truth two plus two equals four, no matter which way you look at it. No matter what language you write it in, it equals four. And so from there, so this is what I was trying to do. I was understanding that he doesn't have necessarily all of this, but he does have what God's already said. He has a knowledge of God in his heart deep down. His conscience bears witness that, you know, there is right and wrong. He knows that this world didn't come from an explosion. Maybe he doesn't know exactly where it came from. So all I was trying to do was like appeal to what I know he already knows. Does that make sense? That's, that's what we have to do with non-Christians. We've got to appeal to what they already know. And so I was trying to to give him this example of the 2 plus 2 equals 4 and then, you know, obviously extrapolate from there that there is a moral absolute. There is a an, an ultimate right and an ultimate wrong. That's why we feel guilty when we do something wrong. It's not because we got taught to feel guilty. It's because God put it inside of us. And so I went through this thing and we talked about different moral things that most people in the world would ascribe to, yes, that is morally wrong. And I said, you see how how you... You agree with 99% of the world, but you haven't had a discussion about it, that this thing is wrong. And you agree with probably 99% of the world that 2 plus 2 equals 4, and you haven't had a discussion with everyone about it. You just know it to be true. And I said, the thing from there is if you agree or you understand that God has given a moral absolute, a moral right, and a moral wrong, that it's not up to you and I to decide, guess what that means He's like, what? I said, that means you're accountable to God. And he's like... And he was, his brain was ticking over, and you could ask the other kids in his class. They were like, man, he's like really being affected right now. But you know what he said? And he was half-joking. He said, oh, well, 2 plus 2 can you do whatever it wants. <laughs> I said, yeah, you're saying that, but you don't actually believe it, do you? No. I said, you're saying it because you don't want to be accountable to God, right? He's like, yeah. This is the heart of the lost. That was my heart before I got saved. I know what's right, but I don't want to agree to it because it means that I'm accountable to God. You know, being accountable to God is actually a good thing. But I understand if you're lost, it's a scary thing. It's a, I don't want that because I don't know what that means or I have to give up this or whatever, whatever. Or what's he going to expect of me? Like, there is all that unknown. But that's our job as Christians to go, you know what? It's actually a really good thing. Because you can have safety in that. You can have security in that. You can have clarity in that. And that's our job as Christians to identify the heart of the lost and to help them to get closer to God based off what we know that he reveals to us. Does that make sense? Very quickly, verse 23, 24. And change, this is what happened. They became fools, but they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image Made like to corruptible man and to birds and four footed beasts and creeping things. So they exchange one thing for another. God is worthy of glory, but I'm going to swap it out for, nah, he's kind of like down here on man and animal level. So he should be given the glory that he deserves, his perfection, but we're going to make it kind of like this mortal, perishable. Kind of thing. So they've swapped it out. It's not like, oh, I'm just gonna tweak it slightly. No, it's it's a complete swap out. So it's our job to to show them, hey, you've swapped something out that's actually not going to be helpful, not gonna be good. Verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. Here's the thing: everything before this is the lost decision, the lost response to what God has given. And now God steps in and says, you know what? You can have it. If you're going to go down that path continually, 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 and you're going to hold back the truth, all right, it's up to you now. That's where it can get. And we don't want that. I don't want that for people. I don't want that for the kid in my class. I want to help him get closer to God. I don't want him to just continue to reject what he knows to be true. And we should have that heart for people. I don't want them to just continue to... Walk around in this lie that the world's taught them. Let's appeal to what they know to be true. Let's appeal to what God's put inside their hearts. Let's make them make sure they're not changing things. They're not swapping things out. They're not being caused to follow their corrupt mind. You know what? That's a sign of God's love. Stepping, stepping out of the way. You'll be like, "Well, how's that a sign of God's love?" Because He actually lets us choose. He lets us decide. He doesn't force himself on anyone. That's a loving God. He doesn't force himself on the lost. He gives them the resources that they need and then gives to us the ability to minister to them, but he doesn't force himself. So it's actually a sign of his love. Now that that verse gave that, that phrase rather in verse 24 gave them up, that God gave them up to these things. It appears in verse uh, 26. And 28 it says, gave them over. So it happens multiple times. It's mentioned multiple times. And God's saying, you know what, if you want this, you, essentially you can have it. You can walk in those ways if you want. Verse 28 even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, he gave them over to a reprobate mind. They didn't deem him worthy. They didn't want to be closely joined to him, to the knowledge of things, and this is what it means, ethical and divine. And so God said, okay, I'm going to give you over to a reprobate mind. That's a mind that is unfit or unapproved. And it's talking, it talks in that sense of metal and coins that that are not approved. They didn't pass a test. Okay. So God, God can let it get to that point, but that's only because mankind chooses to continue to reject. So in all of this, I want to finish real quick, but I'm not going to read it all, but verse 29, basically down to 32, there's a whole list there, unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, you can see it all. It's saying that the unsaved can be filled with all of these things. And it shows you that this is where they end up. This is where they can end up. And not everyone is at that space, but basically... It's saying this is the result of holding back what God has put inside a person's heart. And the lost can see all of that, you know, backbiters, haters of God and, you know, all these wickedness things, deceit, malignity, all of that. The the lost can see that and say, well, where's God? See all of this around me? See all of this around us? Where is God? How could he allow these things? If he's real, why doesn't he stop all of it? But what they don't realise, and this is for us to help them understand, and not like sit down, I'm going to teach you, but help them understand, you know what you see around you? It's a result of your response to God. It's a result of everyone's response to God. The unsaved response to God has made this world and people and society how it is. This is not how God set it up. So it's our job to help them to see that in a loving way. Yes, our lives are meant to be different and we're meant to like, push forward and look unto God, the author and finisher of our faith. But that doesn't mean we never reach into someone's life and help them. It doesn't mean we're just like, set, focused, I'm just walking my own Christian walk and never look around at the unsaved. We're supposed to look around at the unsaved and help them to understand this. I'll give you one last verse and then I'm done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You can turn there if you want. I'm just going to look at this one verse, verse 18, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. And this is, this is our responsibility as Christians. It says this And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. It's our responsibility to help those who are not reconciled to Christ to be reconciled to Christ. God says it's, it's the church's responsibility, it's the Christian's responsibility to identify why they're doing what they're doing, identify their heart, their decisions, their responses, and to help them be reconciled unto Christ. Not judge them like, hey, I've got this and you're worse than me. No way, not at all. But remember where we came from and appeal to what they know to be true, and help them to see that Christ is the answer, that there is an absolute truth, etc., etc., etc. God's actually given us that ministry. That's a service that we get to do. We get to do. Not we have to do. We get to do. I love it when I have conversations like I did in the class. That is, I live for that. Like I love that conversation. I love helping people see things clearly see things different than they have been seeing them that's me okay I just love that but at a very base level all of us as Christians need to invest in that we need to see the need of people and see that they are holding things back and we can help them be reconciled unto Christ all right let's pray dear Lord Heavenly Father we do thank you for helping us for loving us. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can learn from it. Lord God, that we can identify not just the heart of the lost, but even our own heart, Lord God. And Father, even above all of that, we can identify your character, who you are, the fact that you do give us opportunity time and time again, that you are a long-suffering God, you are patient and good. I pray you would help us to see that, identify that, to live that out, Lord God, and to invest in the lives of those around us who do not know you. Father, you've given each of us the opportunity to minister to the unsaved. There's people in our families, in our workplaces, in our places of learning, Lord, just our friendship circles. I know that there's many people in many places that need to be reconciled unto you and I pray you would help us as Christians to identify that and to walk in that ministry of reconciliation that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Help us not to forget what you've done in our lives and may that be the impetus for us moving forward, glorifying you and helping others to be reconciled unto you. Father, I thank you for your help today. I thank you for each one that's here. May we walk away from this place considering you more, considering the loss more. Help us in these things, we ask and pray. In Jesus' name, amen.